You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Just going to let this sit for a while. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Santa Claus is coming to town. What a way to begin. On this Monday, this magical Christmas morning in New York City and beyond with the boss. One of my all-time favorite Christmas ballads. And we got Tom Bauer and Harvey Cruz producing the show this morning. So you know that the music selection is going to be on point, as it always is. Good morning, everyone. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York. On this Christmas morning, the gifts are unwrapped in my house. The bacon has been eaten. That's a wonderful tradition in the O'Keefe house, bacon on Christmas morning. Um, The coffee has been drunk, several cups in fact, as you can probably tell by my energy level, and away we go on this Christmas as uh, it comes at a really, really good time. Coming off a football Sunday, a Giants game later today, a full day of NBA action, including the New York Knickerbockers right here following my show. Our pregame coverage, which I'll have for you, begins at 11.30 On 98.7. So plenty to do. And uh, glad you are along for the ride. Um, Yesterday at MetLife Stadium. I just spoke with Ty Butler a moment ago. As he wrapped up his show. And yesterday at MetLife Stadium. kind Kind of an early Christmas gift. For not sure Jets fans. But certainly the hierarchy of the New York Jets. First and foremost... The not-so-surprising announcement that Joe Douglas will be back and that Robert Sala will be back, most likely Nathaniel Hackett will be back. Look, I was uh, with you guys a week ago last Sunday following the Jets' dreadful loss in Miami when they lost Zach Wilson to the concussion and were never competitive in that game. Um, At that time, you could just tell that it was heading in that direction. And that was before we had actually heard from Aaron Rodgers. Then we heard from Aaron Rodgers on the McAfee show, which further strengthened the case that they were going to keep the status quo. Look, the only thing that has changed from the Jets' perspective, if you compare this year to last year, is the fact that you lost an entire year. But everything else is roughly the same. Right. If you think back to what were the reasons why Aaron Rodgers to the Jets made sense last season? Well, the Jets had a standout defense, one that was so good it got them to 7-4, and four, and then their quarterback play cratered, their offensive production cratered, and they didn't win a game the rest of the season, losing their final six and finishing 7-10. and 10. So as you look at that team, it wasn't, it wasn't a typical 7-10 and 10 team. I mean, they were in the playoff hunt until probably week 15, week 16 of the season last year. They just didn't win another game. So their final record last year looked worse than the team as a whole actually was. It looked certainly worse than the defense actually was. But it was a top-notch defense last year. And as you were analyzing things, well, how can we get this thing better? First and foremost, the biggest thing you were missing was a quarterback. So here we are, literally 12 months later. Coming to the end of another season, week 16 this week, two more games to go, both of them on the road at Cleveland at New England for the Jets. So let's analyze what this what this team is. 
They have a top-notch defense, and I know it got sloppy in the second half yesterday, and I've been talking about this for weeks. You can't judge the Jets' defense on stats alone because the Jets' defense is asked to do more than almost any other defense in the NFL because they have no offense to balance them out. The Jets' defense in the first half of pretty much every single game they have played this season has kept them in the game. It is a top-notch defense, despite the fact that Jacoby Brissett yesterday, for the second straight week for Brissett, came on in the fourth quarter, lit a little fire under the Washington Commanders, and made a game that they would ultimately lose a lot closer because, frankly, he's a much better quarterback than Sam Howell. And I get why they're starting Howell. Howell's a second-year player. They drafted him. They're developing him. They're hoping that the Commanders are hoping that Howell is their future quarterback. Brissett... Unfortunately for him, he's a good player. He's he's very similar to Tyrod Taylor, where he's a competent quarterback. You feel comfortable when he's playing, but unfortunately for Brissett, like Taylor at this point in his career, he has settled into the role of dependable backup quarterback. But this isn't about the Washington Commanders, okay? This is about the Jets and their defense, and their defense is top-notch despite what we saw in the fourth quarter yesterday, them having to barely hold on and not even really hold on, come back after being up 20 to nothing and win that game over Washington at home. Top flight defense and certainly in sore need of quarterback play, of competent quarterback play. Well, this year, unlike last year, there's more clarity in that area. And because you already know who the guy's going to be next season, it's going to be it's going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's ready to come back. If the Jets were in playoff contention right now, he could probably come back right now the last couple of weeks of the season. I'm happy that he's not because I do want to see what this team, what this defense, what this head coach, who's a really good defensive head coach. He's a really good defensive coach. I want to see what this whole thing looks like with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback for more than four snaps. How about four drives? How about four games? How about four months next season? Okay, I want to see what this looks like. I want to see one long go through with Aaron Rodgers as this team's starting quarterback. So they're in the exact same position that they were last year, except there's less uncertainty because they know who the quarterback is. They don't have to go out and hire his buddy as the offensive coordinator because he's already here. They know that he likes the head coach. If he didn't like the head coach, then then Woody Johnson would not have said what he said yesterday about Salah coming back. Same thing with Joe Douglas. It makes sense to keep the status quo with this team. Now, it's Christmas today. And, you know, you come to the holidays and you come to the end of the year. And, you know, one of the things you tend to do around the holidays is you reflect. It's a time for reflection, which isn't always great because, you know, not everybody has a great year. You know, it it could have been a, a tough year. You could have lost someone. You could have lost a job. You, you could have suffered personal heartbreak or disappointment, whatever it is, or you could have had a fantastic year. It's different for everybody. But, you know, most people this time of year reflect on the year that was. Really starting with Christmas, around the holidays, you, you, you get wistful, you get thoughtful, and then leading up to the end of the calendar year, which is this coming week, leading up to New Year's Eve. For the Jets, the the biggest regret, and people do tend to have regrets this time of year, The biggest regret for the Jets, despite the fact that they are in the position I just described, which is essentially where they were last year, the Jets, if you're the Jets and you're looking back on this past year, 
you've basically kind of wasted a year. And in the NFL, more than any other sport, in any sport, that's not great to waste a year. But in the NFL, unfortunately for the Jets, they've thrown away an entire year. Now, could they have done anything differently? I, I think they could have done more to stay in contention for a playoff spot. I really do. And that would have been a big deal for this franchise. Look, playoff spots, um, division titles, everything is looked at differently for every different franchise. For example, and I just spoke a couple of minutes ago with Ty Butler quickly about the in-season tournament that the Lakers won earlier this month. And when the Knicks were in Los Angeles a week ago today, it was the Lakers' first home game since the in-season tournament championship, and they raised the banner. Now, the Lakers, if you're inside Crypto.com Arena, there are banners all over that place for all of their championships. 16 championships, I believe. But whatever the number is, it's a lot. And it's more than any other team tied with the Boston Celtics. In, in their heart of hearts, I don't believe that the Lakers would have preferred to raise a banner for the in-season tournament. They've said Kobe Bryant, you know, arguably the greatest Laker of all time, has been on the record saying that in their arena, they only raise banners for championships, not for division titles, not for finals appearances. Obviously, the in-season tournament did not exist when he made that statement. But Adam Silver, the NBA commissioner, is so hell-bent on making this event work. And, and by the way, as someone who was part of it broadcasting the Knicks games and the Knicks made it into the knockout round, I do think it worked. I think it was a positive. I think it did exactly what it was designed to do, which was add some excitement to November regular season games that was not previously there. So mission accomplished, but in order to solidify it, whoever was whoever won the NBA Cup was almost going to be forced, if need be, to raise a banner. And, and the Lakers, they probably needed to have some strong conversations with the Lakers. Now take the team that the Lakers beat in the in-season tournament championship. It was the Indiana Pacers. If the Pacers had won that... They, they would have been no conversation between the NBA commissioner and the team. In fact, they probably, and I'm not even kidding here, we, we kind of joked about this, but now that I'm thinking about it, they probably would have actually had a parade in Indianapolis for the Pacers if that team had won the in-season tournament. So my point in saying this is for different franchises, different accomplishments mean different things. All right? So if you're a team like the Jets making the playoffs is far more vital to you this year than if you're a team like the Kansas City Chiefs or the Baltimore Ravens or teams that are in the playoffs seemingly each and every season. For the Jets, they have not been in the playoffs since 2010. It has been 13 years out of the playoffs. So if you are able to hold this together this year and get into just the playoffs, I know once Rodgers went down, those championship aspirations that existed at the beginning of the season, those pretty much went out the window. But if you're going to honestly analyze this entire Jets season, there was a path to get into the playoffs had a couple of things been done differently before the season. You know, first and foremost, more strength at the backup quarterback position. You know, when Aaron Rodgers went down four snaps into the game, uh, four snaps into the season, and all of a sudden you turn to Zach Wilson, a guy you had just cast aside. He had some moments. He had some moments in the Chiefs game. He had some moments in the Broncos game. He had his best moment in his shining hour was the Houston Texans game just a couple of weeks ago, which may go down as his last win in a Jets uniform. He hasn't had many of those. But 
a, a stronger plan at backup quarterback for what the goals were for this season was an absolute necessity. Uh, stronger depth at the wide receiver position, more depth at the offensive line position. And that's where, you know, that's where they really get you with the Jets, especially Joe Douglas with his background, uh, you know, as an offensive lineman and supposedly an offensive line guru. Um, The fact that he's been here for four and a half years now and has not yet shored up that offensive line is really troubling. So if those things were done properly before this season had begun, perhaps the Jets could have withstood the catastrophic injury to their franchise player, their centerpiece, at the beginning of the season. That didn't happen, and that unfortunately leaves a sour taste in your mouth. So, So where are you right now with the Jets? Douglas is coming back. Sal is coming back. And... Here's the thing that you have to remember about this, okay? Woody Johnson spoke with New York Post's Brian Costello yesterday, gave him that information. He broke the story. You only, if you're an owner, you only make that announcement once, okay? Next year, if a reporter has to ask the owner of the Jets if he's going to bring back the hierarchy of this organization, Douglas, Salah, hack it, whomever. If that question needs to be asked 12 months from now, then the answer has to be no. Okay? even It happened to Rex Ryan. You remember Rex, right? Comes in, gangbusters, first two years, um, AFC Championship game. Year three, they were trending towards the playoffs, and then the Victor Cruz game happened, and that season ended in disappointment. And then year four, they rallied to, a four, uh, to an 8-8 eight eight record. And Woody Johnson, after the game in the locker room, announced that Rex Ryan was going to come back. And there was a celebratory feel in the locker room that they were happy that their head coach was going to come back. That was only one time, right? The next time there was a question about Rex's job status, he was gone. You only get to make that announcement once. If your coach, your GM, your whomever puts you in a position where you have to be asked those same questions a second time, then chances are you're not going to come back. So that's where Salah is, and that's where Joe Douglas is right now. We'll put Hackett aside because he's a unique case. You know, Hackett, Hackett is here only because of his friendship with Rodgers. Douglas has done some good things, and I've defended a lot of his picks and moves in the past. Less so this year because I think Douglas was the biggest culprit this season about the, the year falling apart. And Sal has done some really good things as a defensive coach. The problem that I have with Robert Sala is I just don't know how he is as a head coach yet. You know, if, if Sala ever moved on, if the Jets got rid of him, if they decided to go in a different direction, I think he would probably be on the market for five minutes. And there would be a dozen teams lining up to try to hire him as their defensive coordinator. And there are the, the league... The history of the NFL is littered with guys with that type of resume. But he wants to be a head coach, and this is, this is his last chance. You know, he's 17-32 and 32 now, and yesterday was his third win as the head coach of the Jets in three seasons in the months of December and January. Didn't have any last year, okay? Got two this year, Houston a couple weeks ago and yesterday. Okay, um, but his record four and thirteen, seven and ten last year, six and nine this season. Wins are wins are important in the NFL. If it, it was a feel good day for the Jets 
because the players really do, especially Salah, you know, the general manager's different because he doesn't have as much personal day-to-day interaction with the players. But Salah is in there every single day. And that's another thing that I, that I think speaks positively for the head coach. The players really do seem to like him. Now, you hope, because he's not the most commanding presence, even though he's like a big dude, a big physical dude, um, but he, he doesn't just seem to be the kind of presence who walks into a room and commands that room. That being said, the players really do seem to like him and take to him. And, and play hard for him. You hope that they don't like him in the way that students like an assistant teacher, a substitute teacher. That's the hope that, that, that that's not the reason why they like him. But whatever the reason is, it was a feel-good day for the Jets because you like to win. You've now won twice, and winning's hard in this league. Anybody will say that. It's a cliche, and especially when you're wearing the logo of the Jets, winning is extremely hard. They've now won twice since Halloween. Winning's important for coaches' records because every single week we talk about this man's job status. Last week after Miami, today after Washington, one of the first pieces of evidence that we bring up is his record. Well, yesterday, his record got better. He is now 17-32. and 32. He's at Cleveland on Thursday of this week. He's at New England to finish. He's trying to equal what the team did last season when they were 7-10. and 10. They're sitting at 6-9 and nine right now. But he knows, and we now know, that Robert Sala is going to have at least one more bite at the apple here in the Big Apple as the head coach of the New York Jets. we got plenty to discuss this morning. 1-800-919-3776. We'll talk about the Jets' performance yesterday. We've got the Giants and the Eagles coming up later today. Before that, we have the Knicks and the Bucks. You know, similar situations for the Giants and for the Knicks because both of them today are going up against upper echelon opponents who recently have seemed unbeatable for the New York team. Can either of them break through today? Can both of them break through today? We'll discuss all of it Christmas morning here on 98.7 ESPN New York. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. All right, good start. I'm keeping a, a list. And Harvey, I am checking it twice of your musical selections this morning. Started with the boss. Santa Claus is coming to town. I see the Santa theme in full effect this morning. You can go a number of different ways with the Christmas carols. I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but I'm a huge fan, you know, working for a specific radio station. I'm I'm actually a huge fan of Christmas music in the car um, during the Christmas season, during the holiday season. Um, Of course, I'm also locked into ESPN New York uh, much of the time as well. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you. Christmas morning. Uh, long day that we'll spend together. Hopefully you'll hang out with us or with me. Um, we're here till 1130 in this format. At 1130, I'll stick around. Knicks pregame. They're at the Garden. Second straight game against the Milwaukee Bucks. Interesting stat about the Knicks and the Bucks and the Celtics. Now, the Bucks and the Celtics are the top two teams in the Eastern Conference. They are two of the three best teams in the NBA, record-wise. The Minnesota Timberwolves being the other one of those teams. The Knicks... Come into today with a record of 16-12, and 12, and they are in sixth place in the Eastern Conference. Because of the in-season tournament that the Knicks succeeded in, they made it into the quarterfinal round, the knockout round, one of eight teams to do so. Their prize for doing that was two additional games, both of them on the road, one against Milwaukee and one against Boston. So as a result, 
the Knicks will end up playing the Bucks five times and the Celtics five times. Three of the five games against the Bucks will have been in Milwaukee. Three of the five against the Celtics will have been in Boston. Thank you very much, NBA schedule makers. That's a that's a quirk. Look, this in-season tournament, and we'll get back to the football conversation in just a moment. This is an aside. The in-season tournament, as I said a few minutes ago, I think was a success. It's also year one of this first-of-its-kind event. So I definitely think there's going to be tweaks to the format. One of the tweaks that needs to be made is if you are one of the teams that made it into the knockout round, then you shouldn't be ultimately punished. Because now that the in-season tournament is finished and teams are focused on getting the best record they possibly can to get into the playoffs or earn the best possible seed. You know, for example, and I'd have to double check this, but I'm almost positive off the top of my head, the 76ers, one of the few teams in the East that's ahead of the Knicks in the standings. The 76ers did not make it into the knockout round of the in-season tournament. So what happened was every team was scheduled at the beginning of the season 80 games. And then the final two games to their schedule were added based on the results of group play in the in-season tournament. And like I said, the Knicks played the Bucks and the Celtics on the road. Every team was given an additional two games to get up to the total of 82. The two additional games that the 76ers played were against the Hawks and against the Wizards. I mean, think about that. Those were their two extra games, while the Knicks had to play two extra games against the Bucks and the Celtics. The bottom line, though, is... The Knicks last year made it to the second round of the playoffs in the Eastern Conference and could have made it to the conference finals. They lost, obviously, in the second round to the eight-seeded Miami Heat, but they have designs on going even further this year. If they're going to do that, they have to figure out a way to beat the Bucs and the Celtics because those are the teams that you have to go through in the Eastern Conference. And this year, the Knicks have played those teams six times. The first time they played the Celtics, it was opening night at the Garden, and they had a six-point lead with about three minutes to play. Couldn't hold on. Chris Stapp's Porzingis went wild at the end of the game, and the Celtics beat the Knicks. Last two games against the Celtics for the Knicks were not very competitive. Bucks, similar thing. First time they played them in Milwaukee early November, Knicks had a one-point lead with a minute to go. Damian Lillard then scored eight of the final nine points for the Bucks. They beat the Knicks in a close game, and the last two times the Knicks have played the Bucks, those games have not been particularly competitive either, including the other day, Saturday afternoon at the Garden, when the Bucks won by 19. So the Knicks get another crack at the Bucks. Noon tip-off here on 98.7. I'll have the pregame coverage for you beginning at 11.30. You're listening to DPH on Rothenberg on 98.7 ESPN from the All-American Ford Studio. The All-American Ford Auto Group is the number one volume Ford group in the Northeast. Huge locations in Paramus, Hackensack, Old Bridge, and Point Pleasant. Shop allamericanford.net. All right, let's get back to some football talk. 1-800-919-3776 as we start things off on this Christmas morning with Subi in Midtown. Subi, how you doing? Hey, Pat, I was thinking about the NFL and the level of mediocrity out there right now. I mean, isn't it surprising that there's only one team in the NFL than 49ers that are above and beyond better than anyone else? So I was just thinking with the Jets, I mean, even if they had let go of these uh, two um, front office, I mean, Salah and uh, Douglas, it would have been extremely difficult to, you know, maintain any level of, like, normalcy. So I'm just thinking uh, what your opinion is about, the level of uh, talent in the NFL, the teams, and then also for next year, how many games do you give them? Um, the Jets, would it be like four games, eight games? Because Rodgers, you know, you'll see whether he has that elite talent 
left um, through the first four games, and I'm just I'm just wondering what the rest of the NFL will be next year because I think the 49ers will take it this year. And then also, Nick's point, quick Nick's point, is Dante DiVincenzo like the missing link? Does he need to go for 20 points most games in order for this team to be you know, a top-tier Eastern Conference uh, team? That's all i got to say. Uh, thanks for the call, Subi. I, I don't think DiVincenzo is good enough to get them to that level by himself. I will say this. He's a better player than I thought. You wish he was a little taller. If he's 6'4", and Brunson's 6'2", as your backcourt, not to sound like Becky Hammond, who got a lot of backlash this week for saying Jalen Brunson was too short, but all I'm saying is 6'2", 6'4", you would like to see your starting backcourt a little bit taller. But DiVincenzo's a better player than I thought, especially considering he got off to a slow start uh, his first couple of weeks trying to fit in, and he is a fantastic shooter. I mean, he's shooting, I think he has started nine games or ten games now in the starting lineup. He's shooting above 50% from three in games that he starts. If he's open, he's almost automatic. He is a fantastic shooter. The first time I've got to watch him play day in and day out, he's better than I thought. Now, the answer to the Jets question regarding how long do they give We'll keep it to Robert Sally here because you generally don't make a, a GM change in the middle of the season. I think they're, they're, they're riding this out with Aaron Rodgers, okay? If Rodgers wasn't on board with Sala now, then the announcement that was made yesterday that Sala and Douglas and Hackett are coming back would not have been made. But once Rodgers went on McAfee on Tuesday and said what he said, you knew they were coming back. And he saw the quotes out of the Jets' locker room yesterday, Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson and others, uh, C.J. Mosley, expressing the fact that they weren't surprised, that this wasn't news to them. And it wasn't because it wasn't really news to any of us because once Rodgers said what he said, um, then you knew Salah was going to come back. They have tied themselves so tightly to Aaron Rodgers that they have no choice but to see this through which is why Rodgers essentially made those all-important decisions for them about whether or not to bring back the general manager and whether or not to bring back the head coach. So I don't think you're going to see Salah let go after four games next season or after six games next season. I think he gets the full season. Because what would the scenario be that would call for Salah's firing? Um... If Rodgers is playing, and let's let's keep it to if Rodgers is playing. I guess if Rodgers is playing and the Jets are 2-5 and five and are so egregiously poorly coached, similar to how the, uh, the L.A. Chargers have been in recent years under Brandon Staley. Now, Brandon Staley, th- that, that would be the, the only comparable situation. The Chargers had a solid team. And they had a top 10 quarterback for the last three years. They made the playoffs once. They didn't win a single playoff game because they had a head coach who was so incompetent and so detrimental to the success of that team that he literally held them back from winning games and making the playoffs. I don't see Salah being at that level. I mean, Staley might be, you know, like you tend to be a prisoner of the moment, but Staley's one of the worst coaches in any sport that I've ever seen, period. Salah's not that. Salah's a terrific defensive coach. So right off the bat, Salah's a really good coach for half the team. All right, But what you need to see from Salah is you need to see him command the entire team. You know, 
John Harbaugh does that. Um, Mike Tomlin does that. Uh, Andy Reid does that. Mike McDaniel does that. Kyle Shanahan does that. Brian Dayball does that. He did it terrifically last year. He lost his way a little bit earlier this season, but he's starting to, in the last month, month and a half, get his mojo back. I haven't seen that yet with Robert Sala. That being said, that can be overcome with a top-flight defense, which Sala has helped build, and superior quarterback play, which he hasn't had, but under this scenario, looking ahead to next year, you hope that he gets that stellar quarterback play. Let's go to Justin in Tom's River. Hey, Justin. Hey, Pat. Thank you for taking my phone call. As always, happy holidays to you. You just really stole my thunder, Pat. That's exactly where I wanted to go with Robert Sala. That's been my biggest critique with him. He's all about the defense. And, you know, it was, I was sitting there with, uh, with my mother's yesterday. My brother's sitting there. He's like, what does Sala do besides defense? He has no play calling sheet in front of him. I would like to see him more involved with the offense. He's sitting there. It's, it's almost like he's just one, about one side of the ball. And that's my biggest critique about him. And I would like to see some more emotion out of him. He, he's too, he tries to be too Bill Belichicking for me. He's just too one, one-sided, just showing no, no emotion, uh, being upset, whether it's good or bad. And for me as a Jet fan, you know, Pat, I, I'm sitting there yesterday. I can never root for my team to lose. I just can't do it. But this just reminds me of a couple years ago when we were sitting there when, when the Adam Gase was here and they beat that meaningless Rams. You know, that, 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 that was different. That was different. That was a franchise-changing win. That, that, but still, Pat, we're sitting there. This is a very important draft in, in, in offseason. Yes, it wasn't. we're not in the, in the room for a quarterback, per se, but this is a major offseason off for this Jets team. There's a lot to be done on the offset, offensive side of the ball for this team. We need a lot of offensive linemen, and we need another weapon for Rodgers next year for us to even be in the breadth of a conversation of being a contender next year, at least in my opinion. I agree with that. But here's the thing, Justin. Thanks for the call. Robert Sala needs wins, and he's the one who ultimately sets the tone for how you take the field on game day. Regarding his demeanor, and you'd like to see him get more involved on the offensive side of the ball, he doesn't need to do that if Aaron Rodgers is there. He came into this season expecting, which is probably a little foolhardy, considering Rodgers is closing in on 40 years of age. But he came into the season, Sala did, saying, hey, I'm going to keep doing my thing on defense. The defense was really good last year, got us to 7-4, and four, got us in position where Rodgers wanted to come and be our quarterback. That was because of us. That was because of our defense, and it was true. All right? So he's like, I'm going to keep doing my thing, and I've got this guy coming in, and he's going he's gonna to run the show on offense. And I'm not even talking about Nathaniel Hackett. I'm talking about Aaron Rodgers. And then, of course, Rodgers goes down, and now what are you stuck with? You're stuck with Nathaniel Hackett coming off one of the most feeble, I'm not even going to call it a full year coaching performance because he was fired before he could get to one full year as the head coach of the Broncos. But you're stuck with Nathaniel Hackett having to coach Zach Wilson? That's what I mean by taking command of the team and taking command of the room. I, I, I just feel like Salah sometimes doesn't know who he is yet as a head coach. I don't know him. Uh, I've been in his press conferences. Obviously, I've watched a lot of them on television. I've listened to him with the guys in the Michael K show a lot. Robert Sala is a really nice guy. 
He's a really nice guy. I, I, I think he I think that's genuine. Um, does that always translate to being, you know, a top flight NFL coach? Not necessarily. I think he's a terrific defensive coach. And I think even if you're not the commanding presence in the room, I think that that can still be overcome. And he'll have a chance to overcome that or grow into that role, further grow into that role. I mean, he's very fortunate in this day and age, just in the sense that if you're 17 and 32, which is his overall record right now, and the fact that he's getting a fourth year, and he's getting a fourth year with an all-time great quarterback, most coaches now don't get a third year. All right, A lot of coaches now, ask Nathaniel Hackett, don't get a second year. You know, Sal is up until yesterday, had lost two out of three games that he had coached. And he's getting a fourth year, and he's getting that year with Aaron Rodgers. So he's doing something right. Let's go to Francis in New York. Francis, how you doing? Yeah, doing well. How are you? Happy holidays. You too. Thanks, Francis. Actually in the car. A couple points, uh, both about the Jets. And only at one point to make until the last caller called in. So I apologize. But... Um, in regards to the offensive line, um, you, you mentioned depth probably about 15 minutes ago and the, and the lack of depth being um, something that you wish uh, Joe Douglas took care of in the offseason. I'm not sure if necessarily lack of depth is the, the uh, correct thing to complain about. I, I think maybe lack of top-end talent is something that is easily complainable about. But, but I, I will say, and I'm not a Joe Douglas guy, I think it's very difficult to get on somebody when you're on your 10th offensive line combination in nine weeks. You know? So when it comes to depth, I'm not sure how many GMs would have, their offensive line would have looked decent in a situation where um, they had so many injuries. Top end talent, totally get it. They shouldn't have went into the, situ- uh, into the season with the left tackle situation where it was. Um, they, that that could have been, been better. Uh, and, and then the second thing I want to mention, and I apologize, is uh, the guy who just called absolute bonehead getting upset about Robert Sala not being more involved at the offense is insane the reason he was brought in was because he was a leader of men and because of how good he was on the defensive side of the ball um people forget when they just hired Sala a few years ago they were lauded he was interviewing all over the place and everyone said it was an amazing hire the second Robert Sala picks up a offensive uh off the play sheet and starts calling plays or is more involved in play calling you're gonna you're gonna have more issues than, than you even know what to do with. I don't I don't he, think he that I don't in. think that caller was calling for Robert Sala to be calling the offensive plays. Uh, I don't think he wanted to call the offensive plays, but he said he sits on the sideline. He doesn't even have a playbook in front of him. The second Robert Sala is involved in the offense, you're in trouble. That's just a fact. He wasn't brought here to do that. that Listen, that's just, there's more issues, Francis, and thanks for the call than Robert Sala's. Um, you know, what he's holding or what he appears to be doing than when the team is on offense. I'll stick to my point and not the guy who called in two callers ago. My point is this. Robert Sala, as the head coach, needs to command the entire team and command the entire room. All right, Andy Reid in Kansas City isn't calling the defensive plays. That's Steve Spagnolo's job. But Andy Reid is in charge of the entire team. Just from my observation, and we've seen this guy work for three years now, my observation is terrific defensive coach. The last two years, I, I, I throw year one out because they were coming off of Adam Gase. They had a rookie quarterback who was in and out of the lineup. I throw year one when Salah went 4-13 and 13 out the window. But the last two years, you've seen real positive signs that this team could 
be something. But what separates, like, look at look at Pittsburgh this year. And, and a week ago, everybody had Tomlin fired. And here he is again. They go and beat Cincinnati this week. They're 8-7, and seven, and they're still alive, even though they're on their third quarterback of the season, none of whom until Mason Rudolph have been good. Okay? Um, they went through a stretch where they lose to the Cardinals, where they lose to the Patriots, and everybody is ready to move on from Mike Tomlin. There's a reason why Pittsburgh sticks with this guy, because he can command a room. All right? There, there's one thing to building a defense, which Robert Sala has proven that he can do. But what's the missing piece to get this team from 7-10 and 10 to 9-8 and 8, or to 10-7 and 7 and get them into the playoffs, right? What's the missing link? That's where a head coach of the entire team, you know, needs to figure out a way how to beat the Raiders on the road when you're winning virtually the entire game. You know, that's where a head coach needs to figure out a way to beat the Patriots, who, as it has turned out, are a terrible team this season in week three. Look, the Bills game, they open the season. Rodgers goes down. You win that game basically on emotion and Josh Allen's boneheadedness. Then you go to Dallas and you run into a buzzsaw. And then you come home to take on a Patriots team that was ripe for the picking. And you couldn't score more than 10 points. It took them too long to regroup from the Rodgers injury. The Patriots game, the Raiders game, the Falcons game. Those are the three games you point to on this Jet schedule. That's the difference right now between 6-9 and nine and 9-6. Nine and six. And that's where head coaching comes in. That's where he needs to do more as the head coach, the CEO of this team. He needs to do more than just build a terrific defense. He's done that. Okay, but you need to add whatever it is that John Harbaugh seems to add or Mike Tomlin seems to add or Kyle Shanahan or Andy Reid or Brian Dayball last year seems to add to get your team over that hump. And that's what this franchise is missing right now. 1-800-919-3776. Pat O'Keefe with you. Christmas morning on 98.7 ESPN New York. American Ford. The best. The absolute best. I love them. Dave loves them. We all love them. I'll tell you what else I'm loving is my brand new custom matte gray wrap Bronco from All American Ford. Thing is gorgeous. All American Ford has the largest selection in the area. It's not even close. They have amazing holiday deals going on right now with some of the best prices of the year. Thousands of dollars off MSRP and in rebates to make your holiday shopping easy. The All American Ford Auto Group is definitely on Santa's nice list because he brought them tons and I mean tons of inventory. Selection and prices you won't find anywhere else. Right now, all models and trim levels don't settle for less. Shop only the best, and that's All-American Ford. G-Men star Kayvon Thibodeau is on All-American Ford's team. He's got a custom Roush Performance F-150. All-American Ford is the number one Roush Performance Auto Group on the East Coast. They have humongous locations throughout New Jersey in Paramus, Hackensack, Old Bridge, and Point Pleasant. They're a hat-trick auto group. What does that mean? It means they have the largest selection, great prices, and an award-winning experience. They're the largest Ford auto group in the Northeast. The tri-state area is truly All-American Ford country. Do yourselves a favor. Shop online at allamericanford.net. You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Rolling along on this Christmas morning. Hope everyone is having a great one. Wonderful holiday season. Pat O'Keefe with you. Guys are off, I think, all week. DPH went Rothenberg. Um, Jake Asman and uh, Maria Marino, I believe, will be here starting tomorrow morning. Thank you, guys. Harvey and Tom. Producing the show, Ty Butler and I have the K Show this week. Not today. We have Knicks basketball today. 
Uh, but starting tomorrow, Ty Butler and I, uh, 3 o'clock the rest of the week on the Michael K Show. Football Mondays are brought to you by InfinityUSA.com. Discover more about the luxury and performance of an Infinity QX60 crossover at InfinityUSA.com or visit your local Infinity dealer today. So uh, that time of year, we're talking obviously a lot of football. We're talking some potential coaching changes, although I don't think there will be any any in this town this season. Certainly there will throughout the league. We'll talk a little bit more about uh, the NFL as a whole as we continue on this morning. Let's go back to the phones for the time being and say hello to Dan in New Jersey. Dan, good morning. Hey, Pat. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas, Um, Dan. Thanks, man. With Salah, I'm definitely not going to argue your point, right? Because the, the simple thing is good coaches find ways to win. Um, I guess we're going to find out next year as far as, as head coaching and the current regime. But I called in it because I actually wanted your opinion on post Aaron Rodgers. Um, obviously, <laughs> we need to fix. <laughs> Wait, what? Know, I'm, what? I'm looking at the big picture. What is post Aaron um, Rodgers? <laughs> I'm talking about like the future of this team in terms of like um, do we draft a quarterback as part of our draft class next year. That's, I guess, my point for him to learn under Rodgers for a year. Because Rodgers is only going to be here for, what, another two years, three years, absolute tops. Um, obviously, I'm not looking a decade into the future. I'm just, you know, two, three years down the line. Um, this defense is going to be good for a while. Obviously, we need to fix the offensive line. That's going to start Rodgers. That starts the next draft, as we've uh, all talked about in the past couple of uh, calls and stuff. But um, I, was call- I was talking to your screen call, and I was even bringing up, like, the example. It might sound silly, but, like, even, like, the commanders with RG3 and um, – Kirk Cousins, like when they drafted a guy in, you know, the first round late and then in the fifth round or something like that. Just because, and you said it, the quarterback position is the most, you know, important in all sports. And as Jeff fans, we know that we haven't had any luck at that. So I just wanted to kind of get your opinion on if we should get a guy in to learn under Rodgers or what we should do with that goal forwards. You know, it's funny, Dan. Thanks for the call. Merry Christmas. That you're, I mean, that's, I think, and look, it's not the top story. It's an important one that that nobody has spoken about is what do the Jets do at quarterback after they move on from Aaron Rodgers. And this, as far as what they should do this year in the draft specifically, it's intertwined with all of the other talking points on this topic. First and foremost, how closely the Jets have aligned themselves and tied themselves to Aaron Rodgers until he takes off the Jets helmet for the final time. Um Rodgers, if he's going to come back next season, you look at this Jets team. The defense is fine. You know, a couple of holes you want to plug, but I think if the defense has a representative offense to balance it out, it's going to be a top-flight defense in the NFL for a third straight season. It's offensive line, and it's wide receiver depth. Those are, and, and by depth I mean like a number two wide receiver. Those are the two areas where the Jets have to dedicate the majority of their resources to this offseason, especially the offensive line. All right. The the only caveat now, Marvin Harrison Jr. from Ohio State looks incredibly, incredibly special. You know, if for some reason he's available where the Jets pick, and I haven't looked yet today where the Jets would pick, but I, I don't think from what you hear, he's like a top three, top four pick. I don't think. The Jets at 6-9, and nine, they're not picking that high up in the draft. He'd be the only guy available that would cause me to maybe not select an offensive lineman 
in the first round. Now, the Jets are going to be fortunate, as most teams who don't need quarterbacks but pick towards the top of the draft are, because quarterback is the one position that is overvalued. So, yeah, you have the two guys at the top of the draft, uh, Caleb Williams, Drake May. Now you're hearing the Heisman Trophy winner, Jaden Daniels, who didn't start the season even as a projected first-round draft pick. Now you're hearing him as you know, a top 15, top 10, top 7 pick. So if there's a third team that moves up ahead of where the Jets would pick to select him, now all of a sudden, those are three picks that have been made at a position that you don't need to draft, and that always benefits the teams that are at the top of the draft or near the top of the draft that don't need to pick a quarterback. So that will help the Jets. Maybe, a, you know, probably still not a Marvin Harrison Jr. falling to them, but an offensive lineman that you might not have been able to pick where you are might become available at that spot because he drops down surpassed by the quarterbacks. But the Jets have to go offensive line, and the Jets have to go wide receiver. And that was, the offensive line has been so bad this year. And listen, by the way, I had a caller last segment call me out on my my, my use of describing the Jets' problem with the offensive line. I mentioned the Jets are lacking offensive line depth. What I meant by that is, like, the Jets couldn't even get to five offensive linemen. So I wasn't even talking about, like, oh, they needed to, you know, have a stronger option at the 6th, 7th, or 8th offensive lineman. No, no, no. I, I meant the Jets, like, behind Elijah Vera Tucker, who was lost for the season, and Joe Tipman, who, despite that bad snap yesterday, has looked like a good pick and a future building block on the offensive line. The Jets didn't even have, like, a third offensive lineman this season. So, for me, depth is, like, who's your third, fourth, and fifth offensive lineman, not who are your backups. So, if you want to quibble over the word that I use to describe it, that's fine, but my point in describing the Jets' uh, problem at offensive line was the fact that they couldn't even fill out a full five-man offensive line, which leads to 10 different starting formations on the offensive line this season. All right, The Jets need to shore up their offensive line. They need to shore up their wide receiving core. Because the offensive line was so poor this season, it was underrated how bad the wide receiving group was at the beginning of the season, especially after Corey Davis retired. Corey Davis retired. Now, was Corey Davis, you know, kind of a disappointment compared to what the hope was he was going to be based on his contract? Sure. But Corey Davis would have been the second best wide receiver on this team. You know, you looked up, you have Garrett Wilson. That's great. Alan Lazard has been a disappointment. Um... Randall Cobb finally caught a touchdown pass a couple weeks ago. He has contributed very little. Davis retired. You had the two undrafted rookies, both of whom have gotten into the end zone this season. Brownlee yesterday, they've been nice stories, but you need more than that behind your future uh, Pro Bowl wide receiver and Garrett Wilson, and that's kind of flown beneath the radar how poor of a job the Jets did at the wide receiver position because of how poor the offensive line position has been. So you need to dedicate most of your resources to shoring up the offensive line and then adding depth to your wide receiver room. And frankly, in my long-winded way of answering that last caller's question, as far as what happens when Aaron Rodgers moves on, I, I, the Jet, because they have Aaron Rodgers and he just kind of like sucks all the oxygen of the organization, the Jets aren't in a position right now to be thinking that far ahead. They're thinking next year, 
get into the playoffs, break this 13-year streak, and get as much as we can out of Rodgers while we have him in a Jets uniform. More calls, some thoughts on the Giants and the Knicks here till 1130, right up until Knicks basketball. Pat O'Keefe with you on 98.7 ESPN New York.